It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Potpourri edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week we look at some sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We usually got some gambling to discuss. And you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go to Twitter, hit us up on the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. That topic actually now has been taken from us on, on local radio, Rick Roaring. Oh, really? Yes. Someone else uh, is doing I, I Ask Skinny Anything? No, I, I believe Mo Egger's doing an Ask Me Anything Friday now. Well, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I, no, it's it, not. It, I like it, it. it. It's certainly not a segment we invented. That's for sure. No, no question. I, I'm good. I'm always good with stuff like that. You, you want to take ideas from others? I think that means it was a pretty good idea then. Honestly, as, as much as I enjoy some good sports talk, I always enjoy listening to the personalities like Mo that I, I like talking about whatever, too. So, you know, Correct. hearing a riff on other goofy stuff is fun. So uh, that's a, that's a good idea on his part. That, that is correct. Uh, obviously, Rick, the, the big news of the week that we'll get to probably a little bit is uh, is Major League Baseball canceling the first two series. we got college basketball to talk about. Bengals and free agency are quickly upon us with the combine. So we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll start with Major League Baseball. I'm Rob Manfred, the commissioner, announced on Tuesday that the first two series of the 2022 regular season have been canceled after the league and the Players Association couldn't agree to terms on a new collective bargaining agreement. That means the Reds will lose six home games to start the season, three with the Cubs and three with the Pirates. More games could be canceled if the sides continue at a stalemate, but for now, the Reds would be scheduled to open the season on April 7th at the Atlanta Braves. The first home game would then be April 12th against the Cleveland Guardians believe it or not. How confident are you that the owners and players will come together on an agreement before more games are canceled, Skinny? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I'm trying to do my best Rob Manford, who really took the time to laugh during the press conference the other day. I mean, what a... You talk about clueless. There, there, no, no baseball fan watching him the other day thought any of that had any moment of levity or needed any moment of levity, and yet he laughed at, at a couple of different points in that. So I figured I'd try to do my best Rob Manford. No, that was good. Um, you nailed it. Yeah, no, here's the thing. I mean, Rick, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, both sides are pretty dug in now. Um, the funny part is it doesn't seem like they're all that far apart when you look at the raw numbers, but it feels like they are the way they talk. Um, I don't think the owners are going to budge. And if the owners don't budge at all, the players aren't going to budge. They're now dug in. They've got a war chest. It's not a great war chest, but they've built a war chest to to last for a period of time. So until this until this starts to hurt owners in some way, shape, or form, I think we're dug in for a while. I, I kind of have, I said it half kiddingly on the Sports Authority Sunday when Chris Rankle asked me at the very end of the of the broadcast of how long I thought it would go. I said, it feels like a Target Dates Memorial Day, and it, and it feels more and more like that, to be honest with you. The main issue at stake here is the luxury tax, yes, essentially. The yes, the threshold. Yeah. Yes, uh, And when you look at those numbers, I mean, I think this year they're off by like, what, 14 million? Or so I mean, it gets it gets bigger than that it goes up to like 30 million a year as the, the next few years roll on. But you're right. I mean, when you look at the numbers, it doesn't seem like they're all that far apart yet in terms of the negotiations, it doesn't seem like either side has any incentive to budge. I don't understand where the compromise comes in here. And it seems like it gets harder as they continue to cancel games because now it becomes an argument over, are you going to pay us our full 2022 salaries right, or not? Right. And you have to imagine both sides are going to completely disagree on that. 
Yeah, that, that was talked about by uh, by Robert Meyer from the Players Association, um, I guess, on the same day that the games were canceled of, you know, if you if you get to 154 game, whatever, whatever number you come to, the players still want to be paid their, their full 162 game rate. And, the, and you're right, the further you get away from that. So right now we're at 156, right? And, you know, you could obviously finagle if you really wanted and make some double headers. I don't think that's that that's big that it's that big of a deal i think if if you, if you did come to an agreement so i think you'd see those six games get added in some way shape or form i do i know he said canceled canceled does not mean postponed canceled means canceled and maybe they they are that's possible but the more you get away from that 162 number you're right that then you get into the argument of 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 is it is it prorated or not and the players don't want it prorated they want the full 162 and if we get to i mean if we get to 120 no offense. At that point, I don't think you deserve your one sixty two either. At that point, I side with the owners a little bit on that. But that, but that again becomes a bigger sticking point the more we go. Well, it seems, and it was alleged by Jason Hayward last night on his Instagram account that the owners would prefer the season be shorter. Anyways, he was basically saying, it, "I can read a little excerpt from it." He said, "Bottom line." They know the amount of games we need to play in order for them to profit. They view the first month of the season as debt. Season delayed equals they meet their goals. And yep. I, I will admit, it does seem like they kind of like that pandemic season. It really shortened the things. They still made some money there at the end of the season. That was without fans even coming because they were able to expand the playoffs and all of that. If they can do that with fans and eliminate some of those early season games where you're not getting as good of a gate, you're able to shorten how much you have to pay the players for the season. Maybe I, I could see why that would make sense for the owners. And if that's the case, why aren't we arguing for a shorter season then? Why isn't that the thing that they're fighting over? Why are we going back and forth on other topics if that's what they really want is a shorter season? Yeah, but but if you get to the shorter season, then does that mean eventually salaries start to shrink because of that on top of it? So if you're the players, you're fighting for you're fighting for the one full 162 um, in order to get the current pay level you're getting. I mean, if it, if it shrinks, owners can always go back and say, listen, we're shrinking the season, but we're also going to shrink your paycheck. And I don't. that's not going to fly either. It's not flying. I'm talking as even long term. I'm talking even long term. My my thing is long term. Okay, so you put another band aid over this, and then next time the CBA comes up, the owners do the same exact thing because there's no incentive to do otherwise if what they really want is a shorter season. So my point is, why don't they just argue about the shorter season now and get that settled now? If that's what the real argument is, I'm not. I'm not 100 convinced that's the biggest thing at stake here, but it does. It's kind of seem like that's the deal that they they really don't mind missing games at all. And if they if they don't mind missing games, it just seems like we're going to continue to end up at the same spot every time there's a new CBA up. Yeah, and that's that's where I think the players feel like they're boxed into a corner here. Is is I think Jason Hayward's right um, that the, that the owners do know where the threshold is to make a profit where, where, where this is concerned. And if it's missing the first six weeks because. Technically, that's you no know, kids are still in school and we don't get as big gates and all of the things that we're talking about. We can live with that. We'll, we'll push that back and then we're going to pay these guys prorated off of 134 games. Um, they, they know he's right. They know. But at that point, then, if you're the players, do you capitulate or do you say, stop ramming it up our ass, guys? We're, we're tired. And I think that's where they're at with this. I think they don't feel like that they were negotiated in, 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 in good faith. Uh, I, I think the owners... Um, didn't negotiate completely in good faith either. And so then you feel you, you feel hurt by that. So, yeah, I don't know where the impasse ends with this. That's why this first six games is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we it's, it's I, I wrote the piece just to put online about, you know, the, they're going to open April 7th in Atlanta, and then their home openers against the Guardians on whatever that date is, is April 12th. And I even laughed as I wrote it going, this is going to change. I mean, this is just 
I'm writing this for today, but next week I'm going to be writing something different. I can see it coming. So I don't know how this impasse ends, but I, I, like I said, I'm, I half joked on, on Sunday night that the Memorial Day feels like the point of demarcation. And to me, I think that's where we're going. In addition to the luxury tax issue, the, the players argue that it's about competition too, right? They, they want to fix the competition or the lack of competition in the sport and the fact that there are so many teams playing for the future or tanking or not adding more players on when they have a chance to compete because for whatever reason, there's the, the luxury tax, there's incentive to do so. There's a whole bunch of different reasons why it's that way. And they say they want to solve that issue too. I think it ultimately just comes down to mostly the luxury tax issue and them getting more money. But yes. on that note, I'm not one to side with the owners, but in this specific situation, every other sport does have a salary cap. And if we look at baseball and what's happened since the new luxury tax rules were put in place, there's been a lot of parity in the game. We know we haven't seen a dynasty like the Yankees since the Yankees. It's been mostly new teams in the World Series year after year recently. There's been a lot of parity. Is the luxury tax really an issue? Like, is is that a problem or is that maybe a good well, idea? No, what the players want from the luxury tax is instead of teams taking that, tanking for a few years and profiting, they want them to pour that right back into ball clubs. And, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't think the tanking concept is awful as long as you have a plan in place and you are looking to build for the future. If you want to dump a bunch of your high-priced guys um, to, to, to get prospects, et cetera, and then build through your farm system, I think it's been proven to, to, to kind of work. I mean, even – you know, even the Reds of a couple years ago, I mean, they, they had a few prospects. They did go out and spend some money. They were looking to contend and they were on the precipice of doing that. And, and I think you're seeing more and more teams do it. I don't think it isn't. I don't think it is a bad idea, Rick, but I understand where the players are coming from. Their their stance is, hey, instead of taking the money and profiting, how about you pay for players that are better than what you're bringing up from the minors? And to me, I'm, I'm a big believer in this, though. Do I need to pay a $5 million salary to a 31-year-old who's a 260 hitter? Or do I want to see what the guy making a minimum salary at age 22 can come up and do at least as good, if not maybe better, and, and see that? I, I think I'd almost rather do that. But I get where the players are coming from. They don't want they want the veteran who's 31 or whatever his age is to get his money. Right, exactly. But that also goes back to, like, if you looked at when they first started doing the luxury tax thing, there were plenty of teams that were just going over by a bunch every year, and they didn't care at all. Like, the right. Yankees, the, the, the type Red of teams Sox. you would expect, the Red Sox, right. Since they have harshened those penalties and upped the fines and upped the tax money for repeat offenders and things like that, you have seen teams go away from that now. And most teams manipulate their, their roster so they go right up to the line but don't cross it now. And we even saw, uh, I can't remember who it was, but one of the teams sent out a tweet a year or two ago that was like celebrating the fact that they stayed under the luxury tax that year. And then they had to delete it because their fans got pissed at them, obviously. But that's also what players want to eliminate is they want those teams that want to just keep spending and spending and spending because it means more opportunities for them right. to land a fat salary. And if that team has any chance of competing toward the trade deadline or what have you, they're just going to continue to spend and add to the war chest. Right now, that's not the case because they don't want to incur those huge fines and those huge taxes. So, I mean, I, I get where the players are coming from there, but it's also like the reality is in every other sport, that's kind of how it works. There are the salary caps. The luxury tax is kind of working like a salary cap right now. I agree with them, and that's not how it was supposed to be. That's what it's become. I don't know if that's a huge problem, though, in the reality of 
trying to keep the sport competitive and trying to prevent these dynasties and these huge market teams from dominating in a sport where you don't have a, a real salary cap. Yeah, no, I, I, I get the, the fight over, but it seems to me like NFL players get paid pretty well. And I know it's always second contract for them. I realize it. And, and I realize that teams can manipulate with franchise tags, although franchise tags still pay you pretty good money too. Um, NBA salary cap seems to work, although we've seen dynasties come out of the, the salary cap era, but boy, NBA players get paid a pretty good piece of change. Uh, I, I get it to some degree, but I also say those sports are thriving pretty well. Why can't your sport do the same? I, I kind of lean that way too. And and again, it's not to me uh, a siding with the owners over the players thing here because no, I think uh, the I think the owners absolutely negotiated in poor faith throughout this. I mean, for, I for them to wait as long as they did to to start talking here was absolute nonsense. It proved that they did want to miss some games because they want, they either want, they either prove they wanted to miss some games or they put it to the point where the players had no other option than to say, no, then I guess we're going to have to miss some games. No, I mean, that was very obvious that that's what, what it was going to come down to. And that was their intention all along. So from that perspective, it's a joke and it's ridiculous the way they treat their fans and how they care so little about promoting their sport and the future of their sport. But from a standpoint of just simply arguing the issue of, the luxury tax itself. I'm not exactly sure that I entirely agree with the players there either. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, 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 I concur with that part of it uh, for, for sure. Um, you know, the, the, the one last thing I'll say about this is, was when this came down, this is a terrible reaction for me to have um, in this city, but it is the reaction. So I'll, I'll give you my honest reaction to it. As soon as it was announced, I went, I don't care. I, I really, I said, I don't care. If you play fine, I'll watch. If you don't play, I'll live. Well, you know how I felt about it all along. I mean, I, I'm to the point where I'm – baseball's been losing me rapidly over the years anyway. I'm to the point where I only watch the Reds. I'm not watching, like, the big Tuesday night matchup between the too. Red Sox I'm, and Yankees anymore. It's it's pretty much just paying attention to the Reds. And I'll be honest, it, it's it's hanging on by a thread in terms of my relationship with Major League Baseball. So no, if they want to go a season without it, it, it may be a while before I ever watch again. As a, as a kid, even growing up here, I grew up a Dodger fan because my dad was a Dodgers fan. Um, but we went to Reds games a ton, so obviously you you, you know you you certainly have an interest in in the hometown team. And I'm kind of with you. I was one that when ESPN back in the late '80s started to have Tuesday night games and Friday night games and Sunday night games and and all that, I'm like, this is awesome. And then cable started to explode, and you could watch you know get, get different regional sports networks. I went, this is great. I remember one year I bought the baseball package off of off of uh, Direct TV. And I thought it was great, but I'm kind of with you anymore. It's like, I'll either watch the Reds game, listen to the Reds game, or just don't even care anymore. I don't even look at box scores anymore. Uh, there's just so much other stuff to do, and other sports now are year-round anyways. I mean, NBA ends middle of summer, damn near now, and football is already picking right back up at that point. So it's just like, there's really not that long of a, a season where we go without sports going on and the sports that I, I actually enjoy more, which are football and basketball. So I, I I'm with you. I, I really don't care all that much. I mean, I've been avoiding talking about this on this podcast because I just couldn't muster up any right. energy or takes on it. It's come to kind of a head this week. So we had to bring it up, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I could take it or leave it at this point. Rick, and I'm not a huge NBA fan. I do watch more NBA. Play. I'm that guy that will tune in for the playoffs, not regular season, but it, it is kind of true to your point. Um, you know, college basketball is going to carry me to about the NFL draft or just close to it, the run up to the NFL draft. Um, 
th- then I'm going to have some some Bengals stuff to work on and cover. And fans are certainly interested in this offseason through through the early part of, of June. And then, you know what? I think we all just need a break in life. Then you take your little break, and I'm going to look up. I'm going to be in Bengals training camp, and I'm not even going to care whether the Reds played or didn't play. I'm really not. It's just the reality of the situation, the way this world works now. And I I really think the owners just continue to simply ignore that. I mean, their their sport continues to slip away in terms of fan interest and the younger generations, and they do nothing to make that situation better. And then they pull something like this. So it is what it is, and they deserve any fate that's ahead for them. Yeah, agreed. That's the part. They deserve any fate that's ahead for them. Exactly right. All right, let's switch it over to the college basketball conversation, which I couldn't have more opposite feelings about right now. This past Tuesday was great. Like we started the Horizon League tournament. There were I had four screens going at once at one point with all the different games going on. It was fantastic. Watching Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Time time out. I got got time out. So you were watching all the Horizon League games at night? I was watching UK. I was watching uh, Horizon League. Like on my main TV, I always had one Horizon League game on, and then I had one big game on. At first, it was UK, and then who was the other big game on that night? That uh, wasn't was, that a local was, game. was that Wisconsin? Was that Wisconsin? Wisconsin, Wisconsin Purdue. Wisconsin, Wisconsin Purdue, Purdue right? Yeah, 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 yep, yep. Yeah. So um, it was that, and then on the other on my computer, I have two screens where I had um, more Horizon League games there. So you actually watched. This is why I'm taking the timeout. I'm taking. A, I'm, I mean, ta- you know what? I just told the official I'm taking a full here, full timeout. Timeout. So you actually watched some of Oakland in IUPUI? Oh, I watched most of it, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't look away from that. And it actually ended up being a way better game than anyone expected I know it. I, I know. So so how many – did IUPUI literally have no subs? Literally no subs. They played with five guys. It's incredible. It was awesome. But the, the, the worst part was no one fouled out. Here's the thing, though. There's got to be a couple of kids on campus that could at least be a, be a – a bench kid just in case, right? Oh, they they announced that they were having open tryouts, and then I think they might have done away with that. And I don't I don't know what the reasoning for was. Maybe no one came out, or no one re- remotely good came out. But yeah, you would think there's got to be like the the best player on the intramural teams that could at least give you a, a body for for the games. But yes. they opted not to go that route. It's been a wild season wow. for them. I mean, when NKU That's played incredible. them. A, a month or so ago, maybe longer than that, they only had six players available for that game. Oh, I know. No, no. I And, and yeah, like I said, I understood the other night they literally had no subs. That's incredible to me. Yeah. And they're on their bus ride on the way there. They're heading up to Oakland and they end up, you know, coach falls asleep. Bus driver has the wrong itinerary, wakes up and they're in Columbus. So then they have to drive another three hours to finish off the ride. I mean, just incredible stuff. That's ridiculous. That, 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 no, maybe Milwaukee is the only other team in the country that wanted their season to come to an end quicker than IUPUI. Yeah, that was such a, a celebrated thing for them to get the Baldwin kid, right? And oh my gosh, they're going to be really good and they just don't get kids like that. And they were a disaster. Yeah, got his dad fired. Landing, yeah. landing his son, the five-star one-and-done prospect got him fired. Yeah, well, tell you what, they turned through coaches up there quicker than anything. Yeah, it's not not a great spot right now. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're going exactly. through a tough deal. All right, I I I sabotage your topic. I'm sorry. No, it's Time fine. So I mean, we just wanted to talk about some college basketball. It's been a fun week already, and this is like just the very very tip of the iceberg. Next week will be fantastic. We get into all the conference tournaments, and then of course all hell breaks loose with the NCAA tournament the following week. So we'll start with our our regional teams, and there's two teams that are dominating the headlines right now. One for good reasons, the other for not so good reasons. Kentucky 
Lost by two, 75-73 at Arkansas on Saturday, but then cruised to a home win over Ole Miss, 83-72 on Tuesday. I guess the bad news is they missed out an opportunity to gain some ground on the other top teams Saturday. But, Skinny, the good news is it was an unprecedented day of basketball where all the top teams lost, so they dropped that game in Arkansas, but didn't really it didn't really cost them at all in terms of losing any ground. Yeah, no, that was that, seven of the top 10 teams lost six, all six of the top six lost on the same day. Did you see the one better who had the part the three team parlay? I did. Unbelievable. 500, 520 bucks on three money lines, closing it out with St. Mary's as a, as a winner won what 24 grand off his $520 bet. He had Texas tech. No, who do you have? He had uh who beat Texas tech? Cause Texas tech was one of the other losers. Whoever it was, he had the other team that Texas Tech lost to on Saturday. He had St. Mary's, and he had one of the other ones that, that were in that in that group. Uh, quite an incredible parlay. No, I think what that did— It was TCU. TCU, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I think what that day did shows—and I started to go through the Ken Palm stuff, and I, I came down to like three or four teams, and that's it. I'm, I'm now to the stage of if you're not top 20 in both, I'm not going to bet you next week when I make a preseason or make a pre-tournament bet. I, I, I do— th- I think it shows how much fun this March could be, but I also then go, yeah, but it's just one Saturday where most of these teams, if not all of them, had to play on the road in conference, and it just was a weird mixture of coincidence, good teams. I mean, Kentucky lost to a good team. St. Mary's, by the way, if you don't, you know this, is ranked. I mean, it wasn't like that they were some nobody that was 5-15 and 15 or 5-20 and 20 that beat Gonzaga. They were ranked. Um, TCU's had a couple of really big wins this year at home. So I think some of that was, was just a perfect storm of, of, of things that took place on, 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 on Saturday. It is crazy to see all of the top six lose like that in the same day. That is nuts. But none of the games in themselves were really that shocking. All of them were playing pretty good teams there. And I mean, the, the St. Mary's over Gonzaga is maybe the most shocking, but like you said, St. Mary's is a ranked opponent and, that's really the only team Gonzaga ever loses to in right, conference with right. St. Mary's. So, like, if it's going to happen, that's where it's going to happen. I Yeah, that that was an interesting day, but I thought it got blown out of proportion a little bit in terms of talking about how crazy it was that those teams lost. It's like, well, none of them were, like, terrible losses. That, yeah, that's my point. It was it was kind of a, just a weird coincidence of all playing good teams. I think all those games, if not I know the majority were on the road. road yeah. Um, it just was a weird. Most of them were score. underdogs and by, in terms of betting lines and stuff too. It's right. not like they, a lot right. of them weren't expected to win. Like Kentucky, Kentucky might've been a favorite. I can't remember what no, that I think they were was. one. I think they were one and a half point dog, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, all of the lines were like pretty close, but mo- a lot of them were underdogs in them anyway. So if not, they were one and a half point favorite. I, it was one or the other. I, I, for some reason, I think they were an underdog to be honest with you. Uh, but, but anyway, but point being with Kentucky is a one seat is still very much in play for them. Yeah, I, it, I, it was weird. I saw Jerry Palm on Sunday, came out with his latest bracketology, um, and, and he had Kentucky fall to a three line. He was the only one out of all the bracketologists, I think, if you go to Bracket Matrix, I think he's the only one that has them below a two line, which, again, it's his opinion. He, he's done this for a long time. I don't know if I like him all that Yeah, he's much. one of the worst, though, on yeah, Bracket yeah, Matrix. I, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think they're they're solidified at least on the, on the two line, and yes, playing now for, for a one seed line. Well, Bracket Matrix has them as the second two seed right two now. Seed, right, right. Uh, but if you look at it, both Auburn and Kentucky are at the twos. They're they're the one and the two two seed, which that's not going to hold that way. One of those two are probably going to bump up, and the other will, will maybe remain a two, but fall down a spot or two in terms of 
which two seed they are. And uh, then when you look at the one seeds, you've got Baylor and Kansas, both as a one seed. Hard to imagine both of them end up as a one, in my opinion. Right. So right. I think there's right. definitely the opportunity for one of these two seeds to, to move up into that one range, if not a couple of them. And, and UK could fit that billing. I think one of the good things that you've seen over these last two games, even including the loss to Arkansas, is Severe Wheeler has looked really good since returning. Yeah, making shots. Not turning it over, distributing. He, yeah, he played well. Yeah, I thought he was great against Ole Miss. There were a couple kickouts. I'm like, oh, don't shoot it. Bang. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if you're going to make shots, go for it. Yeah, two for three from three, I think. And uh, Ty Ty was one for three. That was good to see those two play like that again. Yeah, he's gone from over dribbling to, to now knowing how to attack, when to attack, when to give it up, how to give it up. I think he's really come a long way since the start of the season in that regard. Yeah. I, I would agree. Uh, also, I think it's completely wrapped up at this point. Shibway has to be national player of the year, right? I, I uh, checked the DraftKings odds today for the award, and he's minus 300 at this point. Yeah, I just have not seen enough of, of Timmy or Chet Holmgren, but I, I would think they kind of split things for Gonzaga, right? And um, nobody else pops to, my t- to, to, to the top of my head other than Oscar Shibway. Yeah, I mean, the guy that they have as the second favorite in the bo- betting odds now is Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. Yeah, so. he's been great. I mean, yeah, he's really good, but I don't, I just, I don't see anyone dominating and carrying games the way Shibway does in terms of defensively scoring and dominating the glass in the paint the way he does. I mean, there's just such a physical domination factor to his game that no one else comes close to matching. No, I, I agree. I, and I told you, I, I probably put a small bet on Wisconsin just because of Johnny Davis. Um, I've seen that guy, that kind of guy get hot in a tournament and carry team a long, long way. And in this year where there isn't, doesn't feel like dominance out there, he's the one reason I'm putting a bet on Wisconsin. But yeah, if I had to make a vote, I would probably vote him behind Oscar Shibway for player of the year. Skinny, the other team that's been making some waves nationally and locally is Xavier. The Musketeers have now lost Mm. five straight games and seven of their last eight after an 82-66 home loss to Seton Hall on Saturday and an 81-66 road loss at St. John's on Wednesday night. What do you think? Is Xavier going to miss the tournament at this point? We talked about it two weeks ago, and I gave you the nuclear option. I didn't think the nuclear option was going to happen, but it's certainly in play. I mean, I... I'll be honest with you, Rick. They looked for the first half. I thought they looked really interesting. They just didn't shoot the ball worth a damn. I mean, I thought they attacked the offensive glass. Thought they guarded pretty well. But as that game went along, here came the "woe is us" again, kind of like the Seton Hall game um, from Saturday. Of "woe is us," we're not making shots, so we'll stop guarding. We won't run offense, and 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 it disintegrates into a double digit loss again. I could see them losing to Georgetown. I really could. Now I know that imp- seems impossible. So Georgetown hasn't beaten anybody. But this team just seems like it is completely checked out. And if you lose to Georgetown, then yes, you will miss the tournament. I think they still hang by the thread of beating Georgetown. I don't even know at that point if they need to win a Big East tournament game, but it sure as heck wouldn't hurt. Yeah, it is crazy to look at. A lot of the bracketologists that did a late night update Wednesday night after Xavier's game included them still as a 10 seed. Uh, So they didn't even have them as like the last four in at this point quite yet. Now, some people have dropped them out entirely. Some bracketologists do have them as that last four in, but the the most recent updates I had seen come out since the loss uh, at St. John's still had them in as a 10 seed. But I also think you're not factoring some mid-major upsets that that are going to be bid stealers. You're not factoring in some conference tournament overachievers who go from right on that bubble to playing their way into a, a nine or 10 seed. All of a sudden we see that happen at the high major level 
most years. So I think there is reason to believe they could still fall down. And I also think there's human nature that's baked into some of this. And when you look at Xavier over the last month, they're not going to pass anybody's eye test. The only thing they've done is That's lose, right. and it hasn't been pretty. The la- Four of the last five games, they've lost five straight, and four of those five losses, save for the loss at Providence where it went to triple overtime, and I did think they fought start to finish. It was a great game. They just, yeah, they just couldn't great. get enough stops and, and couldn't make enough shots, but th- it was a good game. The other four, though, they essentially got ran off the floor. I mean, it was layup lines for the other team at the end of the game, and like you said, Xavier looking kind of woe is us and ejected, turning the ball over and letting the other team go run out to, to a – taking a 14 lead to a 16 point lead with a dunk to kind of finish off the game or something like that. I mean, that's the way four of those five games have ended now for the Musketeers. That's not a good sign. That's not good. And I I would agree with you though. I mean, the way Paul Scruggs looked in this game, he looked detached, disinterested. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I, I would never say he's not trying because the dudes always played very hard, but he just did not seem with it in this last game against St. John's. And I I mean, you look at what Georgetown did at Seton hall, they lost by five. I mean, they played them tough here on Wednesday night. I don't think they're going down and losing every game in the big East this year without a fight. If Xavier doesn't play better than they did against St. John's, they will lose at home to Georgetown on Saturday. And that will be an ugly scene. Yeah, that that's the nuclear option. Cause, cause here's the other thing about what's going to happen, happen in that Georgetown game, Rick, if things start to go any way haywire at any point in that game, you know, I'm not talking about an early 2 nothing lead or early 4-2 to Georgia, but if it goes haywire early, can you imagine what that, that crowd's going to be against, not for? I'm not so sure it won't start that way, the way things are going. I mean, it has gotten toxic there over the last couple of weeks. And, I mean, from the, the discourse we're seeing, like, online, I'm really curious to see the temperament when that game starts on Saturday. I mean, it's senior day, so hopefully – you know, they'll, they'll be behind Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson as, as they get honored before the game starts. But you're right. I mean, as soon as anything goes wrong, it's not going to be good there. I, I What do you make of all this? I mean, where is Xavier at right now? What do they do about the future? Is it time to start having conversations? Is it past that yes. point? Where where are we at? With no, all this? You're, you're at that point. I mean, there's no question. This is a trend of teams under Travis still not getting better. And I, I understand your point, and it's the right one, because if you look at the numbers, this team just doesn't shoot. It's 31.8% from threes. Last night's a perfect example. Five of 30 from three. Adam Kunkel goes over 10 from the field, over six on threes. Um, Colby Jones, who's not a great shooter, he takes five threes. But the thing to me that st- stood out, and he talked about this after the game on Saturday, was about toughness and doing little things and screening and moving. And, and I, I've made the point, I, I watched Zach Fremantle for four or five straight possessions in that game, just even before he said that, because I wanted to see what, 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 I, I don't like the way he plays, let me find out why. Well, I watched it as a coach, and I watch him never screen and want to float to the perimeter and, and, and not take care of his business when he got the ball in the post. And it's, it's not just him. It's, it's Paul Scruggs too. I mean, Paul Scruggs last night, I called you, Rick. He had a, somehow he, he made a great move, had a straight line drive, could have made a left-handed layup with nobody threatening him. He decides to shoot some spin and goofy thing over the back of his head and shoots it straight up in the air for an air ball. And I thought, what, what are you, are you not tough enough to just go finish with your left hand? And so it's great for Travis to talk all those things. Cause I'm a big believer in all those things. But if guys continue to not do it and you continue to reward them with minutes, then shame on you. Yeah, I think that's maybe one of the easiest criticisms to look at. And 
regardless of whether you're a basketball savant or you understand all the X's or whatever, I think everyone can see who's getting playing time and who's getting taken out when they make a mistake and who's not. And I think time and time again, they've seen too many guys not play the right way, not do the things that are preached in post-game press conferences and talked about in the Xavier way and all those types of things, yet they remain on the court and they're allowed to continue to play 30 plus minutes. And I understand like you got to go down with your guys, all that stuff. You're trying to win games. That, that all makes sense to me. And there's a bit of realism that has to come into play at some point. And, you know, coach speak is one thing, but winning games is another, but we're past that point with some of these guys. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of accountability in terms of a loss of minutes. So uh, I, I think that's a very valid criticism and there can be different schools on thought on, on what's appropriate there. But I think with the, the lack of success that they've had, it's one that seems to bear itself out in terms of being a valid criticism. And, and now it's too late to send that message. You know, every coach, I was reading a, a long piece. It's a really well, I know you don't like coach K and I'm not a big fan either because I think he's a, is a bit of a hypocrite, um, but there's a really good piece from Wright Thompson on ESPN.com kind of a, a, a career memoriam to him. It was really well done. And it, it talked about a, a a game back in the 2000s where he ended up starting two walk-ons, two former walk-ons, and then and then said one more starter's up for grabs in a practice, and he just sat and watched them battle it out in a practice and was one of the walk-ons who came in, and he, I guess he punked Chris Paul early to the point where it got in Chris Paul's head. By the time he took them out, they kind of set the tone. Or beyond that, that, that's something you do like he did in that January year where you're trying to set a tone then. You, you, right now, you are going to go down with your best players. And unfortunately, though, your best players aren't doing things you need them to do to win games. And so there's the catch-22. It's it's too late. I mean, he talked yeah. about going back to the to, to the basics and in, in practice on Monday. I didn't see anything that was back to the basics. Now, again, I'll give you a first half. I thought they battled their ass off on the offensive glass. Uh, they got themselves a bunch of different opportunities. Couldn't throw one in the ocean, and I, I have to live with that. I've, I've told kids that have to. I got to live with you guys missing shots. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm just going to live with it. But if you're going to battle, you'll find a way to keep yourself in the ball game to when you do start making shots or do start making some plays that lead to to live ball turnovers that go get easy buckets. But I don't see any of that. I don't see any. I, I saw zero different other than a little more effort going to the offensive glass in the first half last night. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, the first game against St. John's. They exploited Zach Fremantle's defense to get some of their shooting forwards open looks, you know, Aaron Wheeler and Terry Coburn in this game. And in this game, they did it the exact same way. They just right. went after Fremantle and, and ran their guy around a simple screen or what have you. And saw Fremantle not fighting through it, not playing hard enough, not being in the right position and, and losing sight of his guy. And they'd get open threes. And Tariq Coburn, a guy who averages four points a game, goes off for 20 because Zach's leading him open, open on the perimeter. And now, granted, he only played 18 minutes. They did take him out for extended periods in the second half. But like you're saying, th- this is too late for that. That that was something that you have to address earlier in the season. And for Zach, it's been such a weird year because he misses five months. He comes back in the middle of season and you chalk it up to, oh, he's he's not himself yet. You got to right. get him up to speed, get him going. And then all of a sudden, here we are at the end of the season and nothing's gotten better. In fact, it seems like he's regressed. So I mean, that is a tough situation. I'll I'll definitely give them that. But even still, there's there's a lot more to it than just that. So here's my question then: with Georgetown being the dregs of the league, do you do you literally say, you know what, five guys are doing the little things. I'll start my two seniors and the other three starters. You guys are going to figure this out in practice the next two days. Do you run that risk and do that? And it may be. 
Deontay Miles and Caesar Edwards and pick whoever else uh, a walk on, I guess. I mean, do you do you run that risk or do you do you go down with your guys and just go, I just need you to play better, fellas? It was one thing when you're still an eight seed in the tournament and especially if you're in Travis Steele's situation where he hasn't been in the tournament yet, you don't press the panic button at that point and start doing silly things and lose a game that you don't need to lose. But at this point, when you're past the point of hitting the panic button, you've lost five straight and it's as ugly as it can possibly be. I think, yeah, I think anything's on the table. I think you got to wake these guys up. The problem is you don't start those guys. They looked kind of detached already in this past game. You don't start some of those guys or you don't play them. Do you completely lose them in this final right. game? And you don't even have no, a chance right. to make that comeback against Georgetown if it if you do get behind early. So I don't know. I mean, like like you said a few minutes ago, I think it's too late for a lot of this stuff. You know, unfortunately, it's too late for for making those types of decisions and turning things around. I think mostly you're relying on your top players to play with some pride and finish think, this thing out the right way. Well, and then it goes back to the elephant in the room question of of at that point, then what do you do with Travis Steele? And I just don't, I, I don't see the value of bringing him back at that point if that's where we're at with this. I think there's a lot of people who are going to agree with you there. I don't get the sense that that's where this is headed. I don't think it's time yet, and I, I, I haven't heard that. I, but I, I at talked the same to some, time. We're not. I talked to, to somebody on Sunday, Rick, and they, they said the same thing you're saying. They don't think it's they they don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, and. I mean, again, we're not to the end of the season yet. Like, I just no, think right. there's no one that is in that board of directors that is going to be so irrational as to want to fire him right now with two games well, left to go. Or and, no, and I, would, and I would say, I mean, season, you, you know, and you still have the, the option of or the potential, not the option, the potential of being an NCAA tournament team. Right. So and you're not that, getting fired off. You're not getting fired off of that. No, and I mean, at the very least, they're going to let the season finish itself out before any types of those conversations are had. But even if they were to miss the tournament again somehow, I don't know that it leads to an automatic dismissal the way a lot of fans seem to believe. I, I don't know that that's the case now. But it, sh- I, but it should. I think we're at the point that it should because I just and, don't there, – there's nothing in his cachet at this point that would say he's going to resurrect things in this program. And there's a lot of people who will feel that way. I, I won't – you know – I don't don't necessarily know whether that's valid or not, but just my read on on where things are at right now, I don't get the sense that it's to this point. Now, it was a really ugly scene there, their last home game. So maybe we go through this Georgetown game and it gets to the point where people feel differently and uh, maybe they're doing a good job of being professional and keeping it discreet behind the scenes right now in terms of the the real decision makers at, at Xavier. We'll we'll just have to wait and see what happens after the season, but I, I haven't heard anything to that extent yet. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Uh, over at Cincinnati, the Bearcats have lost four straight after dropping a home game to South Florida 56-54 on Saturday and then losing at Houston 71-53 on Tuesday. They finish up their regular season on the road at SMU tonight as we're recording this on Thursday morning. Skinny, where's this thing headed for UC? Where are you at on the Bearcats right now? I just think it's a disappointing finish. Not not the Houston loss per se, but but South just, Florida is bad. Yeah, correct. I, I, I think it's a disappointing finish. It doesn't lead me to question whether Wes Miller can coach. I'm going to need to see another year or two of that to make that determination, if not longer, and to get his own guys in there. Um, and I'll just go back to what I said last week. I, I just honestly, I think they had to play so hard on the defensive end for so many games that they're just out of gas. And I don't want that to sound like an excuse. It wasn't a great team to begin with. 
I think the Illinois win got us all over our skis, and especially then they followed it up the next night with a great performance that you thought, oh, okay, in the American, I look up and, boy, Houston's probably the runaway winner, but I look around the rest of the league and why can't this team finish second in the league? And after the initial loss to Tulane, they kind of bounced back to the point where you thought, yeah, they're top two or three team in this league. And I honestly just think they've run out of gas. And, and again, I don't want that to sound like an excuse, but I think it's real. Well, I think other teams have also realized, let's just do everything we can to eliminate David DeJulius's chances right. of scoring. Right. And they've got nothing else. They, they really have nothing else. Uh, one thing that has been very nice about this UC season is if you've been fading them at all, especially recently, it has been a very profitable season for you. They're only covering at a 34% rate on the year. They are nine and 17 and three against wow. the spread on the season, five, 11 and one in conference play. And over their last 12, they're just two and 10. Uh, that's been working out va- very favorably. I mean, they, that seemed like they were going to cover the whole game against Houston the other night. Right. And then because it was what, the whole, 15 and a half, 14 and a half is what I got. 14 it half, but, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but then Houston, comes out and finds a way to push it up to 18 by the end of the game. So yeah, that has been, I think, I don't know. I mean, because you would think Vegas is so far ahead of us in terms of coming up with their numbers and everything. So you would think they had already factored in that, Hey, this isn't the same team that did what they did against Illinois early in the year. But it seems to me that that neutral site performance against Illinois has had their metrics whacked out because these lines still don't make sense when I see them a lot of times. So I've been pretty quick to jump on them. Yeah, my, my buddy in a game that we play for, for a little bit of money each month, he, he his one pick, he picked one game a night um, on this website. He actually took uh, took Houston minus, I think he took him at minus 15 and a half, Rick, to be honest with you. And I said, man, that's a big number. And he said, not going to sweat it. Well, he sweated it, obviously, still covered. So that's, that's all that matters. But that number still looked big to me when I saw 15 and a half. And maybe that's because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of whacked out with the metrics myself with it. With Houston playing at home against anybody in that conference, I feel like they're a 15-point favorite, so that doesn't really bother me with Houston. I've kind of just been riding them in general. But with UC especially, it's like every time I see a number, I'm going, really? Only only that? Uh, okay. And I take it, and uh, over the last 12 games, it's been pretty successful. Yeah, you're, you're, no question. All right, finally, we'll wrap up with NKU, and we're, you know it's kind of tough to talk about the Norse right now because they play a huge game tonight, and it won't have a lot of shelf life to it. They wrapped up the season by winning 12 of their last 14. They played Detroit in the quarterfinals of the Horizon League tournament tonight at BB&T Arena. If Chalk holds, they'd likely play Purdue Fort – well, not likely. If Chalk holds, they, they will would. play yes. Purdue Fort Wayne in the semifinals in Indianapolis on Monday. So, uh, Skinny, I mean, that, uh, not a ton to talk about here, but there is the fact that uh, Marquez Work was named to the second team all-conference in the Horizon League this year. Sam Vincent named freshman of the year in the Horizon League this year. Yeah, and that's pretty good. So that's a sophomore and a freshman, obviously Vincent being a freshman. That's back to, it's back-to-back freshman of the years, right? That's right. I mean, uh, it, it's not just the short term. I mean, that tells you that this, this program is pretty well situated for, for the next few years. Well, and, you know, you got Trey Robinson, who's a sophomore, was part of that class with Marquez Work, who's starting to come on this year. The second half of the year, he's really been valuable and looks like he has a great future. So there's still a couple pieces away. Like, it hasn't been huge recruiting classes (laughs) that have been working out for them, but they've they've 
done really well at landing those big guys. I mean, to get freshman of the year in the conference in back-to-back years, and they've got a, a six foot eleven player sitting out this year in Emmanuel Zordval, who's redshirting right now, who they're really high on. Uh, could be a shot blocker and rim runner for next year. So, so hang on. So we got Zordval and and what's his name? Hubie what? Pavorius. Yeah. What was we got Pavorius and Zordval. Yeah, Zordval is from Suriname, Central America. So he's he's an interesting story. If he ends up being successful, he'll be one of the best stories in all of college basketball in terms of his background. Nice. Yeah, very nice. It's, they, they found him out of nowhere, basically on the internet somehow, knew nothing about him, had no connections, just like started talking to him like, hey, kid, you, you want to play basketball here? Yeah, I will. I will say this for NKU, Rick, and 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 because it's it is hard to just talk about the Detroit game in a vacuum. It will be quite a run, though, if you go through Detroit, which has been your nemesis this year in the league, and the two seed in IPFW, and then the one seed in in Cleveland State. Boy, will you have earned it? No question. And the way it shook out in terms of NKU getting that three seed and Purdue Fort Wayne getting the two seed. I mean, if you're lining yourself up against any of the top four teams not named NKU, so we're talking about Cleveland State, Wright State, Oakland, or Purdue Fort Wayne, I'm thinking you're choosing Purdue Fort Wayne if you have right. your druthers. I mean, so I think that worked out very well for them. I'm not saying Purdue Fort Wayne isn't a worthy opponent because they've got two of the best guards in the conference and they're they're certainly dangerous. Jared Godfrey can go off for 25, 30 points on any given night. But I if in terms of matchups, I think that's the team you choose. So Detroit, not an ideal matchup given that they've lost twice to them. But there's that old saying, it's always hard to beat a good team three times. I think NKU at home against Detroit in the quarterfinals, you feel good about taking your chances there. And then if they move on and everything works out the way you expect it to, Purdue Fort Wayne in the semifinals is about as good as you can ask for, I think. Yeah, no, I'll give you that part. But yeah, but still just based on, again, your nemesis, a two seed, and then the one seed potentially, or if not the one seed potentially, arguably your biggest rival in Wright State, that is that's quite the gauntlet. Yeah, they've popped Wright State twice this year, though. So if they get them in the finals, although Wright State never actually makes it to the finals, so they'd have to do hold up their end of the bargain first. But if they did, uh, if I not, think it's Oakland. NKU it's Oakland, maybe then. Yeah, or but maybe Oakland then too. Well, and that brings us to, I guess, maybe what could be our considered our, our betting segment for this edition of the podcast. You look at DraftKings, and they have their futures up for who's going to win the Horizon League Conference Tournament. Skinny, do you have any thoughts on the value here? Cleveland State is plus 200. Wright State is plus 400. NKU has the third lowest odds at plus 450. Purdue Fort Wayne is plus 500. Oakland plus 600. Detroit at plus 900 if you're interested in that. I think I would take, if I had 100, I think I'd take 50 on Detroit and 50 on NKU and feel like the winner of this game makes the run through. Yeah, I think I would go... NKU for sure at 450. I like they've been playing better than anybody in the conference down the stretch. And granted, they have a tough matchup with Detroit, but if they get through that one, you got to like their chances at plus 450 compared to Cleveland State and and Wright State. But Oakland at plus 600, I mean, they have more talent than anyone else in the conference in terms of their top five. So uh, Oakland at plus 600, I think, is pretty interesting odds, too. I'd be I'd be interested in sprinkling Oakland at plus 600. Oakland and their 96 year old coach, Greg Campy. He's not that old. I think he's 66. Yeah. Feels like he's been there for a hundred years though. He has been there for a hundred years. That is. That I mean, he, he, he took him from D two through, didn't he? Believe I think so. He, did. he started coaching when he was like in his mid twenties, I believe. Yeah. No, so. I, I think, I think he took him from D two on. Yeah. He's in his 38th season 
Wow. Or wow. Yeah, I believe maybe 39th. Uh, but it, it's it's been quite the ride there for Coach Campy. Yes, it has. All right, Skinny, let's get into a little bit of Bengals talk here to wrap it up before we do some Ask Skinny Anything. Jesse Bates will become a free agent on March 8th unless the Bengals apply the franchise tag or reach a long-term extension with him. Bates, who is 25 years old, was drafted by the Bengals in the second round of the 2018 draft. And I'm just curious on your thoughts, Skinny. We've heard a lot of talk about it over the last week. We heard Duke Tobin talk about it at the podium the other day with reporters. Where do you think things stand with Jesse Bates? Are they going to work out a deal before March 8th? No, I don't think. I, I think they franchise tag him and then work on a deal. I think that you have sides that are fair, far enough apart. And I'll be honest, Rick, I'm, I'm kind of – torn with this and this is not going to be a popular take the franchise tag is good money it's about 13 mil 13 and a half at safety yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was 12 nine last year so it went up to 13 and a half this year um i'm not sure i'm investing long-term dollars in a safety i'm sorry for that it sounds terrible i just don't know if i'm going to do that especially when we're closing in on after next year t higgins will be entering in the final year of his rookie contract and joe burrow will be entering the final year of his rookie contract um, we're getting to the end of Jonah Williams' rookie contract. I mean, so we're starting to get to some of these spots where you got to decide where am I wrapping my money up. I think Jesse Bates deserves to be paid well. I don't think he deserves to be paid where he and his camp think he should be paid, which is the upper echelons of safeties in the league. Listen, he was great in the postseason. He was great in 2020. He was very mediocre during the 2021 regular season. He admitted some of that was because of the contract, and I understand that. He doesn't want to be franchise tagged. Too damn bad. That's part of the collective bargaining agreement. I get why you say that. Um, I, I do think they franchise tag him. He'll be in a Bengals uniform. I just don't know if the sides are going to come to terms on a long-term deal, and I'm not sure I'm wrapping up top money in a safety. I'm sorry. Do we know what top money would be for? I'd have to look. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have to look. I'd have to look, Rick, to be honest with you. I've not delved into to where that would be. Um, but you're, you're talking – you know, terms of probably 15, 16 mil per, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Oh, so you think it'd be more than the franchise tag at yes. 13.5. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm just looking it up right now uh, on Track. They've got the estimate at five years, an average of 14.5. So there you go. You're, you're yep. right I'm on there. It. I'm um, not doing it. I think I'm with you at that price. I know everyone wants to bring him back and everyone's emotional because he played so well in the playoffs and was a part of that run to the Super Bowl. But man, that just seems like an awful lot of money to have a safety. And honestly, do we do we really know last year? Is it really that big of a difference if you have Jesse Bates or any other safety back there? Yeah, well, on that roster, yes, because the, the other safeties were the likes of Ricardo Allen and then Brandon Wilson and Trayvon Henderson. I'm talking so about any other starter in the NFL, though. Like oh, yeah, over yeah. replacement thing. Is he that big of a difference over most starters in the NFL? He wasn't during the regular season, for sure. That's that's my thing. I know he made some plays during during the run. He was in great the in the playoffs. He was great. No, no, quite. He elevated his play, and good for him. And and that's how you earn money. But I just don't yes. know if it's the smart way to spend money if you're the team who's paying him. I'm with you. I mean, the and honestly, at thirteen five, it, it, that's that's a pretty nice chunk of change. I don't know that he's going to be like torn up entirely about having to settle for playing a year at 13 and a half. No, and I don't think that's his personality either, Rick. Again, did he make business decisions during the regular season? Maybe. Did he play? Again, to his credit, he spoke pretty honestly about not playing up to his level and that the contract weighed on his mind. And I understand that. Hey, that's human nature, man. You're, you got a chance for a payday. The last thing you need to do is get hurt in the last year of your contract. 
Well, 13 mil is a pretty good payday. And coming off of a Super Bowl run where he was really good, and if he wants to get paid on the open market after after next year, he's got to have, he, a, big he year. have a great 2022 season. Right. He needs yeah. to have a great season. I, I, I don't. The one thing I will not question is whether Jesse Bates will, will play up to, 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 to salary. I, I don't see him making business decisions. I don't. Um, so I, I don't worry about that part of it. I, I get that he doesn't – He no player wants the franchise tag. They just don't because it just kicks the can another year down the road. But I'm sorry. I'm just not tying up long-term money into – a long, long-term long big-time money into a safety. I'm just not. He made like just under $3 million last year, including right. bonus money, I believe. Yeah, so no, that the, would be this, a this, huge this, difference. Yeah, Rick, the franchise tag money is, is worth more than, than the probably the total sum of his four-year rookie contract. Yeah, yeah, it was. So – uh, other Bengals news, linebacker Logan Wilson underwent shoulder surgery to repair a torn labrum. That was reported by NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler on Sunday. He said the surgery took place last week, and it's believed that Wilson suffered the injury in a week 13 loss to the Chargers. He missed the ensuing three games after that, if you'll recall. So yep. uh, skinny Logan Wilson played through that injury the rest of the way and played really well. He It sounds like he's expected to make a full recovery. There's nothing really to worry about here, but just kind of adds a little bit to the the legend and maybe the likability here of Logan Wilson. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it never sounded great down the stretch about him coming back. And then by the time the playoffs rolled around, he's coming back. Um, and you're right. He played well in the playoffs and and. It's not like you need your shoulder as a, oh yeah, wait, you do need your shoulder as a linebacker. I mean, that, that, that's all you need to know about that cat. Yeah. Little bit of toughness there. I don't know. There's much to uh, talk about, but it's of note. That's for sure. I took notice. Yes. All right, let's get into some Ask Any Anything where we've got a handful of questions. So feel free to uh, rip through these as quickly as you like. All right. We'll start with a question from Jed Demusi, who said he's ripping this off from Mo Egger's show yesterday. Who wins first, the Reds or FC Cincinnati? Ooh, I'm. That's so. That's so good. I'm gonna go FC Cincinnati because, as I mentioned, I think baseball doesn't start to Memorial Day. I think they squeak one out between now and Memorial Day. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're playing basically every. Every week, every week now, every Saturday ish for yeah. uh, until that time. Uh, yeah, I think they'll win one at some point. You, you have to think they'll win one, right? You have to think. Now, I think a better question would have been actually who scores first. I, I guess FC would score first if they're going to win first. But yeah, yeah. I, I still think it'd be FC there because we're basically banking on them winning before the Reds even get started. Uh, well, I, I think well, if, you can, they, if they. If they don't wreck my lands. Oh, yeah. What are we doing there? Of course, what are we doing there anyway to oh, begin with? It's, 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 a, it's a disaster. But uh, maybe the more deep philosophical, like who wins, like actually has a winning season and is actually back to respectability and good again is a more interesting question. I I, I think I go Reds there, but I'm not entirely sure if I'm being honest. I think I go Reds there. Yeah. Uh, what's the latest you've heard on the Louisville basketball job? You know, that's funny. Nothing. Have you? No, which I think is interesting because there was a ton of momentum and talk about Kenny Payne right when it came open. Right. And then maybe the week or so right after that, it became like, oh, it's it's going to happen. And they even had a comment from their, their interim AD about we'd like to have this done before the, the NCAA tournament. If now he did couch it by saying if 
the, the coach is available and we're not waiting for his team to finish up their season. So that he left the door open for potentially going after a current college coach, but it certainly seemed to insinuate that a guy who wasn't in the college ranks right now was being heavily considered. And obviously that led to the speculation about Kenny Payne, but since then, it's gone completely dead on the, the Kenny Payne front. And that's not to say people aren't still talking about him, but there's very little momentum. It seems like at this point, it seems like they are waiting now and, and definitely at least going to wait to talk to other coaches who are finishing up their season. So maybe wait, we're wait wrong. Maybe it's, all, maybe it's all happening behind closed doors with Kenny Payne. And we're, we're going to hear about that sooner than, than we think. But uh, the name that, has been getting talked about again is the the name you just brought up, which is Mick Cronin, who we had talked about from the start as being the best option in our opinion. That's why I wait till the UCLA season's over. Let's see how quickly it gets done then. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, basically the two names that I've seen most people bring up and I'm talking about national reporters like Jeff Goodman and, and the people in Louisville even have been Kenny Payne and Mick Cronin. Now there are all types of other rumors out there, but uh, in terms of the ones that seem to have the most momentum and legitimacy behind them, those are the two names that are being brought up a lot right now. And uh, I, I think both of them are are kind of where we expected it to go from the beginning. Yep. If Skinny was banned from ever working in journalism due to a spicy hot take, what job industry would he work in? Um, well, that's a good one. Huh. Well, that means you're, you're kind of banned. Honestly, I, I've thought about this for a while. I think I could do, if you paid me, you know, somewhere in the $20, $25 an hour range, I could do a factory job. Just <laughs> just a nice, quiet punch in, punch out, nine to five. I'm not so sure. I, you know what? I'm not so sure I wouldn't go want to work at Speedway. Just be the, one of the guys in the front cashier. Not, get yeah. Clock me in at six in the morning. Clock me out at 2.30 with my 30-minute lunch break. I think I'm good with it. Chief, do you know how much drama goes on between the attendants at a gas station and the yahoos that walk in and out there and there, doing there are a lot of offs and everything and are drunk I can handle and yahoos. handling you I can, can handle but yahoos. god you'd be red assed at least once a shift i mean this is Possible. not this now i the, the whole warehouse thing i think everybody who does any type of like media or journalism work fantasizes about the factory job at one time or another of like it'd be nice to do something that's mindless and that you don't take home with you. That is like you that, walk see in, that, you punch that, the clock, and you leave it there. That's the part for me. It's the take. There always feels like there's something hanging over my head. One hundred percent, because they're always it. You could, if nothing else, even when you have everything done, that's like assigned for the moment. You could always be working on the next thing, or getting ahead of yes. something, or researching yes. something else. It never leaves. There's always something to do, and that's the worst part of this whole business, without question. My wife works for Procter and Gamble, and she works hard, and she's got a pretty important job. Um, and there are times where she'll work a little extra, but she's also able to tap dance around it, go run an errand or two, come back home, pick up the work again. But by God, when that laptop is shut off at whatever time it is, four o'clock, five o'clock, that's it. Yeah. Do it again the next day. That's a great way to do it. There's plenty of times where I've got downtime where I'm just reading for a couple hours and not reporting or writing or any of those kind of things. And I know she's downstairs working, you know, feverishly. But to me, when that laptop gets shut off, it's shut off. I, I get it. I get it. This is from Brad. I truly love baseball, but with the lockout and the Reds setting up for another rebuild, why in the world should I care? You're right. That's a, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, we, I think and, we hit on that one, and I, we both agree with you, Brad. Yeah, no, I and that's the part for me is, listen, if you're turning off those, those staunch baseball fans, and listen, we all said it in 94, and we all lied because we all came back at some point. 
of the 94 strike that I'll never go again. We all did. And we'll, we'll probably go again. But if you start to turn me off more and more, and I was already turning off to begin with, what do you do to the group of fans who you've never gotten to embrace your game? And there's a large young group of those fans out there. They don't like your game, man. They do a terrible job with that. And I mean, you're right. We did come back and I'll probably come back after this, just because if nothing else, we do things like this where we're going to talk about it. So I'll be somewhat interested in it. And it it is something to do. I mean, I like sports. I enjoy Reds baseball. So it's not like I'm going to ignore it completely, but in terms of like having me as an engaged fan that wants to go spend my money and wants to get excited about things, those days are pretty much gone or they're, I mean, just barely hanging on by a thread at this point. Rick, and I'll go back to a point I've made. Listen, I, I really appreciate baseball coming back in 2020 during COVID. You know, I, I'm a huge golf fan. As I mentioned, golf was the first sport to come back. And so I was wrapped up in that every week. And it was, I would just, I couldn't wait for Thursday to get here to watch my golf. And it was something to do because nothing else was going on because the bubble at that point wasn't back in basketball and baseball wasn't back. And I do appreciate baseball coming back. But, and listen, they came back because they knew they could get TV revenue out of this and still survive okay. And you know what? I just wonder if it doesn't get you to the point of, I enjoyed the game more watching it on TV. I'm good. Maybe I'll go once a year. Maybe I I went two times last year. And you know what? I was okay with it. Same here. I don't even think I went twice. I think I might have just gone one time last year. And and it did not, didn't even think twice about it. Didn't bother me at all. Yeah, I went out. I, I went once when I, I went, I went once on, on a, some ticket vouchers that I had that, that I bought cheap tickets and sat in a good place and another on somebody else's nickel. So there's the two times I went. I pretty much at this point only go when there's either an event that I have to go for or somebody is offering, you know, they, they want to hang out and they have tickets or something. Oh, like, oh yeah. Right. That'd, be, that'd be good to good to go hang out with you. I don't really care to go to the game all that much if I'm being honest. Right. All right, this uh, from Adam Baum. I don't know how into the Xavier world you are enough to know if about this or not, Skinny, but uh, Baum says, ask Skinny if I should get a Clementine tattoo. That way I always have one on me, even when they're not in season. Did you know about Adam Baum and his Clementine obsession? Uh, I, I, I know of Adam Baum's Clementine obsession, yes, and his, his roasted almond obsession as well. Well, I didn't know he had a roasted almond obsession. Oh, yeah, he, he, brings those, the, he's, he used to bring those to Bengals games and share them with me. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, what? Are, where are you at on him getting a Clementine tattoo? I'm all in on this. I think he should get a tramp stamp. Um, if he's gonna do it, do do it discreetly. No, I well, tramp stamp is kind of discreetly. I think that would be a real sexy look for him to get that right above the buttocks, <laughs> just a nice little Clementine, and it'll be like. I think from I think he's still single guys, too. He could he could get some that's good, a good use call. Of that. That's a good call, and 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 hey, listen, maybe that'll be his calling card. Well, I think it definitely would be if you get that done. That's uh, the guy with the Clementine tramp stamp. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've always, if you're going to get one, get it on the ankle. Be done with it. <laughs> on the ankle? Yeah, I just. That's uh, like yeah. the ultimate trailer trash mark, isn't it? I, I'm noting you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why you're into it. I get. I got gotcha. you. All right. Now, that's a Latonia move. The ankle, yeah. the ankle tat with some jean shorts is the Latonia move. Shout out to Latonia. Shout out to Latonia. Um, have you dusted off the summertime short pants the last couple of days, Skinny? Have not, but it looks like Saturday I may have to do that. It's going to be 69, 70 degrees. I think that'll be the first appearance of summertime short pants of the year. Oh, it doesn't get any better, does it? I did take the dog out this morning in a pair of short pants, but they were not the summer. These were more of the gym short, short pants. <laughs> kind of the longish, the longish practice shorts. Yep. Yep. Shorts. That, that's what they're all called is shorts. I would. Nope. Nope. There's athletic shorts and there's short pants. 
I have short pants in my closet hanging up, actually. Basketball shorts and khaki shorts is what you're looking for. That's correct. Short pants. Uh, Summertime <laughs> short pants. Okay. They will, be brought out on, they will be brought out on Saturday. I will promise you that. And I, I may take a picture and send it to you, Rick. Please don't do that. I don't want anything involving your lower half in a picture. Uh, during, this is from our guy, Mo Egger. We'll end it with this. He said, during a break in this week's failed negotiations with the MLBPA on a new labor deal, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred was photographed pantomiming a golf swing. Sure this was. has made Mo wonder what it's like to play 18 holes with Rob Manfred. So please rank the following likely Rob Manfred golf characteristics from being least likely part of the experience of playing around with him to most likely. He buys every conceivable logoed item for himself from the pro shop, not just a simple polo, an entire outfit. It's pretty likely. He makes painfully uncomfortable comments about the girl working the beer cart frequently within earshot. No question. Yeah, it, that it's, it's squirmability factor there has got to be high. Yeah, his his cringiness is yes. no doubt there. So that's got to be top of the list. He with prefers the, the uncomfortable with the uncomfortable laugh to, to boot. He says something inappropriate to her, and then he has that uncomfortable laugh on top of it. Yeah, when all of his buddies look at him like, dude, seriously, come on. He prefers not to ride simply so he can quite a rack his- for a nineteen year old. Uh, that's uh, that's what we're talking about. Yep. Uh, he makes uh, he prefers not to ride simply so he can show off his navigator lithium remote control golf caddy. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means. That's way too deep golf <laughs> guy for good. me. That's pretty good. After five of six holes of the other guy cracking jokes and generally enjoying himself, he finishes a putt, looks at the group and says, guys, we're here to golf or play grab ass. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got a least likely yet. I think all of these check is is one, one, a one B one C one D. Yeah. He lets you keep the card, but silently monitors your accounting a little too closely. (laughs) (laughs) These are good. At the turn, he emerges from the clubhouse and returns to start the back nine, holding a bottle of kombucha juice. (laughs) After nine holes, he insists on beginning every subsequent hole on the putting green in an effort to get the round over quickly. Yeah, that might be the least likely. Has anyone ever done that? Has Mo ever played with a guy who did that? Not that I know of. I had a very enjoyable round with Mo over the summer. After nine holes, he insists on beginning every subsequent hole on the putting green in an effort to get the hole. I mean, who would do that? That's an insane yeah. move. That's a terrorist yeah, that, move. That, yeah, yeah. I no, think no, he's I an ass. That. I don't think he's a terrorist. Yeah, that, that would be that would be the least likely. As you exhaustedly and futilely search for your ball in the high stuff, he stands in the middle of the fairway and yells, have you found it yet? Yeah, I'm kind of that guy on occasion, too. It's like, listen, man, if if you can't find it in the first handful of seconds, let's just move on. Yeah, I'm kind well, of that guy. I, my my thing is, I'm going to come over and help you look for your ball. Well, I do that. I'm, I'm, I'm And I'm usually good. My what. Guy I play with a lot, Todd Curlis, he, he is one of the best I've ever seen it at kind of from a distance knowing where the ball may have crossed. And we, he and I usually are pretty good at, at, at finding who's ever shot that is, but it's his mind, somebody else's um, we're, we're pretty good at that. And usually for us, if we go to that area and we look for a few seconds, we don't see it. It's pretty much, it's gone and we're not going to find it. Yeah. I'm a grip. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm with I, never yeah he, he, I, I would say Manfred would be the guy that would not come help. There's no question. He would stand in the fairway and yell. Yeah. Yeah, that's the issue here is he's standing there and getting yep. mad that you haven't yep. found your ball. It's like you go over, you look for the ball with the person. And then I agree with you. If I don't find my ball, like I take 
24 balls out to the course and plan on losing every one of them while I'm out there. I have no, no patience <laughs> to stand around and look for balls. It's like, if you don't see it right away, throw a new one down and let's roll, you know, especially in a scramble. If I'm playing in a, in a, in a, like a charity scramble of some kind, I'm not going to look for my ball because chances are everybody else has done it. You're going to find another seven to 10 along the way that people have left somewhere. Yeah. I promise I, you. I only play in scrambles at this point. I'm not even a regular golfer anymore. It's like yeah. only if I can golf in a scramble. He's all too eager to wager on the round, but as soon as your group is finished, he starts patting himself, trying to find the wallet. He knows he's not going to locate and says dismissively, yep. i have to get you next time. Yeah. After every poor shot, he lets a out clear. a, what are you doing, Bobby? Which gets old after about three holes. <laughs> And of course, like calling himself Bobby. That's great. Yeah. My, my, my dad, my dad is a big talks to himself guy when he's playing sports. Like he's a big golfer and bowler. And when he's screwing, he's like, ah, Rick, come on. He's always doing that, which I find hilarious. Uh, I did watch a pro golfer do that the other day. Billy Horschel hit a shot and goes, Billy, what are you doing? Yeah. I think it's funny, to be honest. I don't know that I would get too annoyed with that one, especially with him being an old, weird weasel that he is. I, I think if it was, if it was, If it was almost every shot. At that point, you're like, dude, you're not any good anyway, so why do you keep worrying about it? Yeah, well, that, I mean, I would find that kind of funny, too. I, I, I always think that's funny because it's always – when someone repeats stuff like that, it's like playing uh, sports with the guy who says, my bad, all the time. It's like, yeah, buddy, we know it's your bad. We all are well aware that it's your bad. Quit saying it. You just suck. We all know, too. It's no big deal. We're just a bunch of old, out-of-shape dudes playing here. But, like, quit telling us it's your bad because it's very obvious. I'll tell you, that list he put together is fantastic. That's a really good list, and that's why we love Mo. I don't, like, I can't actually rank any of those because they were all very good. They were all great. That was was really, really well done because – you could see him do it. And I'll tell you, that was a bad optic. Cause I used that photo actually in the, in the story I put up online, the AP moved that photo. And as soon as I saw it, I went, Oh dude, that is a bad optic. Bad He's the optic. king of bad optics. He did the whole laughing thing, which was like, couldn't be more tone deaf. And then he's got this where it's like, he had to like, go find the one sliver of area where they could get a picture of him. And then he practices golf shot during yeah. that time. I was just, a bizarre human. I think the the one that seems the most appropriate for him is the the girl working the beer cart one. No who makes the uncomfortable comment. He, yes, he definitely seems like the tone deaf old guy who does that. Without yes, him. no no question. All right, I was twenty five years younger, honey. <laughs> you ever wanted to learn how to putt? <laughs> that would be an inappropriate comment. Oh my lands! All right, Rick, I appreciate. It. Thanks for all the questions. We will be back uh, next week. Hopefully, uh, Rick will be celebrating an NKU NCAA tournament berth at that point because right. the Horizon League Championship game will have been already played. So we will hopefully talk about that and certainly much, much more because we'll be in the conference basketball tournament time at that point. And we'll know whether or not Jesse Bates, well, close enough, actually, uh, whether or not he'll be franchise tagged as well. So we got a lot to talk about on next week's uh, show. So thanks for being with us. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly book re-edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.